0: My friend Katie from high school, uh, not my wife Katie, another friend Katie, um, she went to a little country church when she was growing up, and uh, she told me this story. It's a church of like, you know, 50 or 60 people, and she told me that the pastor um, in the pulpit, he would, he had a couple of tennis balls, and if anyone fell asleep during his sermon, (laughs) he would get out a tennis ball and throw it at them. Well... Uh, Last night um, at the fish fry, I knew better, but there's something about carrot cake and coffee together um, that I just can't resist. (laughs) Um, If I do coffee after about 3 or 4 o'clock, I'm in trouble, and it was about 6. And so um, I'm going on about two hours of sleep. So if anyone has a tennis ball in their hand... (laughs) And if I fall asleep up here this morning, um, I, I do uh, give you permission to just wing it at me. Uh, no, God is good, and um, i am i 'm ready to uh, to give the word that he 's brought to us today so let 's pray together, our Father in heaven, we are here today to hear from you, Lord, we have come, we have confessed our sin to you, we have given you praise, Lord, for your forgiveness and for your mercy and for your grace that we've experienced in Jesus through our singing. And Lord, we come now to hear from you. And Lord, we ask that you would teach us by your spirit through your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So over the past six months, we have been looking at the Bible and God's mission, and we've been focusing on the work of God to fill the whole earth with his glory. And as we've moved into the ministry of Jesus and into the New Testament, we've been talking about that mission in terms of the kingdom of God. The mission of God is to bring his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. That's the same thing as saying that God will fill the whole earth with his glory. That his kingdom come would come here on earth as it is in heaven. And from the very beginning of his earthly ministry until the present time, Jesus has been at work calling men and women to come under his authority. To enter the kingdom of God now and to live under his reign and his authority in their present earthly lives. And over these past uh, eight or nine weeks, we've been looking at some of the characteristics of the community of people who live under the rule and reign of God. We are men and women who have counted the cost and found that Jesus is more valuable than any other thing. We are a people who sit at the feet of Jesus. We are a people, we heard last week, who know the love of the Father. We are a people who seek to not only hear the word, but to hear the word and to obey it. We're a people in one way or another. Some of us very obviously, some ways maybe only that we know, but we are a people who have been healed by Jesus. And we are a people who are being transformed not only in our outward behavior, but in the inner character of our hearts. Today, we are going to look at another part of what it means to be a a part of this kingdom community, and that we understand that we are living in the right-side-up kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the values and purposes and the way of life that Jesus calls us to seems upside down to the values and purposes of the world around us, don't they? Because in the kingdom of God, it is God who sits at the top and we who are below. But one of the great problems of the of, the hum- of us as human beings that we've had ever since the Garden of Eden is that we want to be on the top and we want to place God below and we have to be woken up. We, have, we must be taught by Jesus what is really true and about, about what it means for us to come under his authority. Because often the way that he instructs us to live seems very odd. It seems very strange. It seems upside down. And so we must learn that his way is the way that leads to true life. The instructions of this right-side-up kingdom of God are probably seen most clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like this. When a person hits you on the cheek, don't hit him back. Instead, turn the other cheek to him. I actually saw this literally happen one time. I was in high school And we were playing basketball in a gym and my friends Ben and Brad really began to go at it. Ben and Brad were both believers but they were really going at it on the basketball court and they literally took it outside. You hear people say hey you want to take it outside? Okay they literally took it outside and Brad was standing there and Ben hit him. And like I've never seen anybody just just hit somebody and Brad stood there and he turned the other cheek and he said hit me here. And Ben in his anger, could do nothing but walk away. This teaching to turn the other cheek, it seems so counterintuitive. It seems silly, foolish even. But Jesus teaches us that when someone sins against us, when we encounter evil, the way to overcome that sinful behavior, the way to overcome that evil is not to become sinful and evil ourselves, but instead to walk in a different way. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like this. When a person takes your coat, don't try to go and get it back from them. Instead of seeking your rights, instead of pursuing justice for yourself, instead of going out of the way and taking all the effort and energy to make sure you get back what belongs to you, instead, you should go out of your way to do something different. Go and take him your shirt and give it to him as well. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like this, don't worry about your life, about what you are going to eat or drink or what you will wear, because the people of the world go after all of those things. Don't be anxious and worried about the material things of your life. Instead, seek first, set your sights on his kingdom, set your heart, your full attention, your mind, and your soul on the kingdom of God of God. It seems upside down to us, many of the things that Jesus says, and what we're going to look at today is another example of this uh, right-side-up kingdom. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, and I do encourage you to, uh, if you don't have your Bible, to so please, take, please take the Bible in front of you. We're going to be reading through some of these scriptures today, and it'll be uh, helpful for you uh, to follow along. But Turn to Matthew chapter 20. When I began preparing the sermon this week, I thought that I was going to be preaching primarily from Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. In these verses, James and John, along with their mama, come to Jesus, and they say to him, Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, may I, James and John, or I'm sorry, may my sons, James and John, may they sit at your right and your left hand when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus finishes by telling his disciples, in response to James and John's and their mom's request, in response to that, he says to them that if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must become like the least. And if you want to be first in the kingdom of heaven, you must become like a slave. This upside-down, right-side-up kingdom. And so I had originally focused on planning on, on, on... Matthew chapter 20, and talking about how we are called as citizens of this right-side-up kingdom, that we're called to make ourselves servants of others and to put other people first. And we're going to get to that point, but we're going to get to it at the end. Because as I was uh, reading through this portion of Matthew this week, I discovered that this story about James and John coming to Jesus with this request, and Jesus' response to them about becoming a servant, is actually the end of a culmination of stories that has this message about the first being the last. It's the culmination of a series of stories in the Gospel of Matthew about the last being first and the first being last. In the preceding verses, Jesus has been teaching them about what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. At the end of this conversation with James and John, he says, Whoever wants to be great must become like the least. Whoever wants to be the first must be a servant. Well, just before that, in verse, uh, verses, 16, uh, uh, verses 1 through 16 of chapter 20... Jesus has been telling a story about a vineyard owner who treats his hired hands in a very strange way. And at the end of that parable about the vineyard owner, Jesus finishes by saying, verse 16, Whoever is last will be first, and whoever is first will be last. Right before that story of the parable, there's the story of the rich man who came to Jesus and asked him, How can I enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus finishes that encounter by telling his disciples, once again, verse 30, many who will be first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then right before this story of the rich man, there is the story about people coming and bringing children to Jesus. And Jesus welcomes the children, and he points to the children, and he says, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like children, who are like the least. These three stories, the story about becoming like children, the story of Jesus' encounter with the rich man, and the story of the parable of the vineyard owner, these three stories, this is key to my whole sermon this morning, these three stories tell us something about our relationship with God that we must know deeply if we're ever going to get to serving other people rightly. Okay? These three stories are, have to do with our relationship with God that we must understand and know deeply in our hearts if we're going to serve other people rightly. So right there in your notes where it says three stories write, this is about our relationship with God. Jesus talks to James and John about serving other people But before we can truly be a servant to other people, we must be in right relationship with God, or our service to other people will go wrong in some way. So let's look at these three stories. First is the story of Jesus and the children, Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. It says, Little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Children are vulnerable. They are needy. They require our time and our energy and our attention. Children really aren't competent to accomplish very much on their own strength, are they? Imagine if Katie and I left our house for just one day with our six-year-old in charge. What would the house look like at the end of that day? What would our children look like at the end of that day? Children really aren't able to do a whole lot. They can't accomplish a whole lot on their own. They are dependent on their parents' the thing about children is that they instinctively know this about themselves. My kids do not have to be told that they are needy. They don't have to be told that they need help. They know that they can't do a lot by themselves. And they know where they can go to get what they need. They can come to their mom and their dad. Children have a spirit of dependency. They know that they are dependent on their parents. As adults, we grow up and we learn and we get smart and we learn how to do things and we forget the spirit of dependency that children have in their nature. They know they are dependent in some way. And this is why the very next story that Matthew tells us is the story of the rich man, sometimes known as the rich young ruler. The reason that his story is placed right after Jesus' teaching about children is because this rich man is exactly the opposite of a child. Matthew chapter 20, verses 16 through 20. Now a man came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Well, which ones, the man required? Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? This rich man is exactly the opposite of a child. He's grown up, he has done well for himself. He's done well for himself religiously. He has kept all of the commandments, he said. He has lived a morally upright life. And not only has he done well for himself religiously, he's also done well for himself materially as well. He was wealthy. He's made some good business deals. He was business savvy. He, he had money. This man was competent. He was able. He provided for himself. He has done all of the right things. But you know how this story ends, right? Verse 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus says to this rich man, there is still something that needs to happen in your life. You must relearn dependency. You must give up the things that you have earned for yourself, and you must become empty again. In a way, Jesus was telling this man that he needed to be born again. This man was the opposite of childlike. This is why this story was placed right after the story of Jesus talking about the children, because this man is the opposite of a child. If a child is needy, this man was prosperous. If a child is dependent, this man was independent. If a child was unable to do much on their own, this man was competent to do anything. And he knew it. And so Jesus says to this man, you must become empty In order to receive the kingdom, you are living upside down. You are living with yourself at the top. Your hands are filled with your own kingdom, with your own provision, with your own independence. If you want to receive the kingdom, you must receive it from God. And your hands are too full with your own accomplishments and with your own doing. The man goes away sad because he had lost all of his childlikeness He had lost his spirit of dependency. This man had provided for himself everything that he thought that he needed. And Jesus watches him go away sad, and he turns and he says this very famous verse it's it's harder for a rich man to enter or for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are shocked by this. Because in their their mind, a man like this, a man who was both morally upright and wealthy, was obviously a man who God favored. And Jesus says to them, not so. God is looking for something else. God is looking for those who come to him understanding that they are childlike. That they need him. And then Jesus tells this story about a vineyard owner. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. This is one of those very challenging and frustrating parables. I think all of us get to the end of it and go, where's the justice? Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, that would have been about an hour later, by the way. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius, a full day's wage. So when they came to those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble, I think, just like I would. They began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have been born the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, am I not being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Do I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And so, the last will be first. And the first will be last. His vineyard owner goes out throughout the day, continues to hire different people to come and to work in his vineyard, At the last hour, he finds a few men simply standing around doing nothing because no one had hired him. The implication here is that these are men who no one wanted to hire. These are the least desirable. They were standing in the marketplace all day. Vineyard owners, gardeners, farmers would have been coming hiring different men, and these men were never hired to come and work. These are the men that all the other vineyard owners passed over for hire. They're the ones that no one else wanted. And the kingdom of heaven is like that vineyard owner who goes out and not only picks them, not only picks them, but extends them grace upon grace and gives them a full day's wage for the work that they did. He gave them what they did not deserve. Of course, the vineyard workers who had been working all day were not at all happy about this. They believed that they deserved more because of the work they had done. They believed that because of their effort that they should get more than all of the others. What these three stories teach us in our relationship with God is about the importance of of what Jesus calls being poor in spirit. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These stories are all about the importance of being poor in spirit. Jesus said in order to receive the kingdom, we must become childlike. We must realize our dependence on him. The rich man believed that he was worthy of the kingdom of God because of what he was competent to do on his own and because of what he had been able to acquire in his life by his own strength and efforts. But Jesus said that it was that man's competence and his ability to provide for himself and his independence that was the very thing that kept him from God. The vineyard owners in the story who had all worked all day believed that they were deserving of more because of the work they had done for the vineyard owner. The first will be last, and the last will be first. In all of these stories, in all of these stories, what it means to be the last, what it means to be the least, is to be people who stand before God with nothing to offer, who look to him like a child and say, I have nothing, but I realize that in you, I can have everything. Many of us come before God and we think, you know, I've worked hard. I've done some good things. I've given some money to the poor. I've done missions work. I've worked hard at my job and I've come to church. I've taught Sunday school. And so God owes me a little bit of something. That's not poor in spirit. That's middle class in spirit. (laughs) We had a good work ethic. We deserve something for it. We must come before God poor in spirit. We come to him with open hands and say, I have nothing to offer, but I know that in you, through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, I can have abundant life. That is childlike. That is dependency. That is poor in spirit. And it's only when we're poor in spirit that we realize that we are rich in Christ. And so our strength to serve other people then comes from that position in Christ. In that place of dependency that we can turn and and rightly serve others, that's when we can turn and rightly serve others is when we're in that place of dependency on God. It's from that attitude of poor in spirit that we can turn around and serve others rightly. These stories do not teach us that God values incompetence or laziness. Okay? Okay? God gives us gifts and competencies and abilities to serve him and to serve others. But if those gifts and abilities are exercised in a spirit of independence from God, then our service to others becomes prideful. Our service to others becomes self-serving. Our service to others can, uh, can turn around and be just one more way that we believe that God owes us something. So this is where we get to the story of James and John. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 23. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it that you want? Jesus asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. James and John and their mom had some ideas about what was going to happen next in Jesus' ministry. It's really, really easy to read this story and kind of shake our heads at James and John We just heard about the kingdom of heaven being like a child. We just heard Jesus say once, not once, but twice that the last will be first and the first will be last. What are you thinking, James and John, to come and ask this question right now at this moment? But this is what's going on in their heads. James and John knew that they were nobodies, that they were poor fishermen, that they were not like that rich man that had come to talk to Jesus. They were not rich, and they probably had not kept all of the commandments. In other words, they perceived themselves to be the last, and now they keep hearing Jesus say, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Well, we've been last for a long time. We've been on the lowest part of this social ladder, and so now we're with Jesus, and it's time for us to be first, because Jesus said the last will be first, and so now it's our turn to be first. It's amazing how even our humility can turn into pride. It's amazing how our service to others can become self-serving. It's only when we are poor in spirit towards God, only when we realize that we truly offer nothing, that we can then be truly used to serve others. If we are not poor in spirit, then even our commitment to Jesus and become one more way to make us feel and act superior. If we're not poor in spirit, then our gifts and our talents become just one more way for us to feel like we've earned something before God. If we are not poor in spirit, then our service to others becomes one more way for us to feel like we deserve something from God. And this is what we see in James and John. They were thinking, hey, we're the last And now we've given up everything, Jesus, to follow you. So now our commitment, our decision to follow you, it deserves some payment. Let us be first when you come into your kingdom. Of course, this causes some division among the disciples when they heard what they were talking about. Whenever, whenever we seek our own self interest, it causes division. Whenever, But when we are poor in spirit and when we offer our gifts and our talents and our abilities in humble service, it brings life to those around us. Jesus calls his disciples around them and he says to them, listen, I want to teach you a new way to be great. Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, disciples, this is an upside-down kingdom that you're living in. And so, verse 26, this is not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says that in this upside-down kingdom, the kings and the lords of this world take their power and their abilities and their competencies, and they use it to lord it over people. They use it for their own benefit. But Jesus says, not so with you. Not so with you. In the right side up, kingdom, where I am Lord and King. All acts of service are done for the sake of the other. And from that point on, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, watch me. And in that next week, his disciples would watch as he rides into Jerusalem, humble, like a, riding on a donkey, In the next week, his disciples watch as he gets down on his knees and washes their feet. In the next week, his disciples will watch as he, the Son of Man, willingly goes to the cross and dies for them. Our Father in heaven, we come to you confessing that our righteousness, our good works, the prophet tells us are like filthy rags. God, we come to you truly with nothing, and we, I pray, Lord, that you would give us all a spirit of childlike dependency on you. God, I pray that as we are poor in spirit, that we would then use all of these giftings that you've given us, these abilities, these competencies that you've given us, these ways to serve others, that you would help us, Lord, to use those For the sake of the other, keep us from pride. Keep us from self-serving. Lord, and I pray that you would help us, Lord, to use our gifts for the benefit only of others and for the benefit of your kingdom. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.